Today, we got to talk about the day in college football. And look, we started with Michigan coming back, or I should say finishing off Indiana in an emotional second half victory. We got to talk a little bit about the great game of the day, Kansas versus Texas Christian. Texas Christian pulling that out. And yes, of course, Ohio State remains dominant. Let's get into it. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. So what we have to start with is, of course, the game that you all want to hear me talk about because you all know that I am an Oklahoma fan. And today will go down in infamy in Sooner lore as the Texas Longhorns stomped a mud hole in my Oklahoma Sooners and walked it dry 49 to zero. This game was not close, but it did have its moments, at least in the first half, which is the last time that I chose to tweet about this game before we had to do this show. Look, it started the way that you thought it would with Quinn Ewers making his return after being knocked out of the game against Alabama in a game they probably win if he plays. And then you understand that Oklahoma is going into this game without its starting quarterback in Dylan Gabriel and Davis Bevel look very Davis Bevel in this game. But they had chances here as Texas was able to move the ball on them at will. I thought it was interesting that Jeff Levy came out there with, I'm calling the Willis bone, Braden Willis, who played quarterback in high school, got to play a little wishbone wildcat quarterback against the Longhorns. And they were moving the ball really doggone well. Saw some great play out of Jalil Farouk, some ba- some great play out of Eric Gray right up until it wasn't great play. But more than this, it was, for me, Texas announcing itself in a well and truly way. If you want to say that Texas is back, I'm not going to stop you from saying so. Because this is the worst loss that Oklahoma has ever suffered at the hands of Texas. Before this game, Texas had never beaten Oklahoma in this game by more than 33 points. Today, of course, 49-0. Also was the first time that Oklahoma was shut out in the first half against Texas since 1984, the year my parents got married. I'm a 35-year-old man now, and I wasn't born until 87. And then it is the first shutout that Texas has thrown against the Oklahoma Sooners since 1965, and that game was 19-0. Now, There's one pivotal sequence that I think is important here, and I believe it's the second series that Oklahoma had offensively. Braden Willis had been able to help Davis Bevel get the ball down inside the red zone, an inspired play call to run a fake uh, off of a timeout. You convert that, and then you get stuff on fourth and one inside of your opponent's red zone. And, of course, Texas picked that ball up and marched back down the field to make it 14-0 to when it could have been perhaps seven up and the changes, the tenor of the game. But the inevitable was always coming as Texas looked dominant in this one. And it's so lopsided that your man, Kevin Durant, decided that this was the time for him to interject himself into the college football discourse with this tweet. Ayo, somebody tell Brent Venables, pass the joystick. This ain't it. Yikes. Okay. We reel down bad when a dude that spent all of one calendar year at the University of Texas feels like he can talk noise about the University of Oklahoma. A dude that decided that he was going to leave the Oklahoma City Thunder on the 4th of July on Independence Day to go join the Golden State Warriors and can't keep his man Kyrie Irving in check, but can show up on the second Saturday of October to talk noise 
to the Oklahoma Sooners. My goodness. This is also an outstanding tweet here from our friends at College Football on Fox. The return of Quinn Ewers at Texas Football did not disappoint. Did not. 21 to 31 for 289 with four TDs and a pick. Quinn Ewers accounted for more yardage through the air than Oklahoma managed all day long. Bijan Robinson certainly helped with 22 carries for 130 yards, two TDs. He was carrying Oklahoma defenders like this ride at the Texas State Fair was free. My goodness, just handing out rides to everybody on that defense. And that was really the most jarring part of the game. It's not the offense. As much as we want to talk about the offense and how bad it is without Dylan Gabriel, and frankly, how much better it could be if he was there. And since Lincoln Riley has left, we'll get into that a little bit later. But the defense was the reason that so many people, myself included, were so high on this Oklahoma team that at one point in time was ranked number six in the country is now three and three. They weren't able to tackle. They were hardly able to get lined up. And they felt like they looked small and skinny and slow compared to Texas. That's not something that I have been able to say since 1998. And coincidentally, that's the last time that Oklahoma was shut out in a game. It is also, well, offensively shut out in the game. It's also the last time that Oklahoma had three consecutive losses in the same season. That's a very long time ago. I know because I was 11. And again, I'm a 35-year-old man doing this show. There's not really a lot to say about this game except to say I don't think this is the bottom for Oklahoma. Nothing here helped me feel inspired about what they have left for them and what is a loaded Big 12. And don't kid yourself. Oklahoma's got their back against the wall right now because Kansas is good, right? Oklahoma State is good. Texas Tech is good. And that's before we get to Baylor, Iowa State, who generally play Oklahoma really, really toughly. And we'll see what happens with West Virginia. But right now, you've taken losses to Kansas State, Texas Christian, and Texas in three consecutive outings. It's not a good look. That's just what it is. It's just not a good look. And this is something you're going to have to continue to try to correct as you go into 2023. And perhaps even 2024, you know, you're going to take all of this into the SEC. And I don't feel great about that. Perhaps we will look at this game and think of it as the beginning of the end for Oklahoma. Or perhaps we could think about it as the turnaround for Oklahoma. I'm not that optimistic because I'm much more of a realist in this. I saw what you saw. I saw an Oklahoma team that was outclassed, outplayed, and frankly outcoached as it felt like they just went away from the thing that was working. If you just run the doggone ball, you give yourself an opportunity here. A, you keep the ball out of the hands of the explosive Texas offense. And B, it was working. But you can't have Eric Gray running a wildcat and then asking him to throw pop passes. That ain't it, Chief. That ain't going to get it done. I mean, that might be the worst play that we'll see from an Oklahoma offense all year. And my goodness, all he had to do was hang out on the football and keep running it because they were able to get pushed. It was clear that Pete Wachowski was not going to commit eight to the front, and they were just going to take and take and take until Jeff Levy decided that it was time for him to go away from that and try to start throwing the ball around. It's just, it's tough, man. It's it's a tough scene right now for Oklahoma fans because they don't know if they're coming or going. Is it that you don't have the roster that you did last year? Sure. Is it that the coaching could be better? Of course, I'm sure the coach would be the first to tell you that. Is it that you have a new system? Is it that the Big 12 has gotten so much better, so much more talented? It's all of those things. And right now, it is Oklahoma's turn to be in the dunk tank. And it ain't fun to be sitting in the dunk tank. All right, let's move from 
49 to zero. Goodness me, Texas over Oklahoma to what ended up being an emotional win for the Michigan Wolverines as they traveled down to Bloomington, Indiana for big noon to play Indiana on Indiana's homecoming. Now, that's some genuine gall. I don't care how good or bad you think Michigan is going to be. To make that your homecoming game says that you better show up to play. And those boys at Indiana absolutely showed up to play, especially after they got punched in the mouth. You could see Blake Corum punching it in after he had an explosive play to start this game. And then Indiana and Tom Allen decided it was time to hunker down just a little bit. Played this game really tight and forced Michigan to present to us what a number four team in the country should look like. Man, J.J. McCarthy continues to look like the kind of guy that we thought he could be when he got to Michigan. He finished this game 28 of 36, 304 passing yards with three TDs and a pick. That is on top of Blake Corum rushing for 124 yards on 25 carries and a TD. That dude is really put himself into the conversation for the Heisman Trophy especially if they're undefeated going into a game against Ohio State that we think is going to be a play-in game for the college football playoff, if not into the Big Ten championship game. Ronnie Bell showed up in a big way, 11 receptions, 121 yards. But it was clear that in the second quarter, the Michigan Wolverines were a bit shook. And it wasn't really much that Indiana was doing except perhaps making it difficult on them defensively. It was with running backs coach and, well, Michigan legend Mike Hart uh, collapsing to the ground due to a seizure. We uh, had a statement from Jim Harbaugh on Mike Hart after the game. I'm going to read it in its entirety here. Mike Hart had a medical emergency during the game, and he's in stable condition. He's going to stay overnight in Bloomington for continued observation. Mike is a strong guy, and abundant prayers go his way. It really puts things in perspective. In the moment, everybody's thoughts were with Mike. Mine were, and everyone around us, was to get them or get him the care that he needed. The most important thing is his health at that point in time. Took a while. It was really rough to see Mike Hart stretchered off, and it was really tough to see Donovan Edwards and Blake Quorum taking that to heart. That was the man that, or is a man, that is very near and dear to them. I mean, that's the position coach. That's the guy that brings them in there. That's the guy they see every day. That's the guy's probably in their text messages all the time. If nothing else, he is an uncle to them in that way. And I'm sure that they were playing with him on his mind at halftime. Jim Harbaugh left no doubt about that saying, hey, we got to go win this one for Coach Hart. It was 10-10 at half, and they poured it on 21 points in the second half to win 31-10. to it still looks like a really good football team that is growing into its own. The defense had seven sacks of Connor Bazelak. The only Indiana fan in my phone that follows Indiana football texts me. It's like, yo, man, Connor Bazelak's getting killed out there. And I'm going, uh, yeah, because that's how good that defensive line has turned out to be. Mike Morris is an absolute dude. They had 10 tackles for loss in this game to go with those seven sacks and a pick. Tough game for Indiana. They played hard. They played well, but Michigan was just a better football team as they get ready for another big new matchup against Penn State in Ann Arbor. That is going to be a lot of fun, and yours truly will be on site for that. Very excited to see what Michigan can do against James Franklin, Nick Singleton, and that Penn State program. All right. In the 2.30 window, 2.30 East, uh, Central Time, 3.30 Eastern Time, we got to see number three Ohio State defeat Michigan State 
49 to 20. This game never looked like it was in doubt. Couple of real, well, a bad play really that results in CJ Stroud's first interception of the season. That wasn't his fault. Matter of fact, Emeka Agbuka made the wrong read on a play and CJ threw it right into the waiting hands of a Michigan defensive back who ran it back on a pick six. I watched the sideline to see who was going to get a chewing on this one because I didn't really know. I don't think anybody can know whether or not that was CJ Stroud's fault or not based on what the play was. And when I saw Brian Hartline's body language standing next to Mecca Ebuka, I came to understand, okay, the wide receiver made uh, a mistake there, but it was the only mistake that he really made. The next series, matter of fact, he took it over the top Michigan State's defense and got six back to make amends there. But this game was ridiculous. As producer Tyler pointed out before the show began, <laughs> CJ Stroud threw more touchdown passes than he threw interceptions today, and he threw six touchdown passes. He's had six touchdown passes thrown in three different games, the first dude in Big Ten history to accomplish that feat. He looks like the Heisman winner to me right now, 21-26, to 361 through the air, six TDs, and that pick. Travion Henderson had to carry the load from the running back room, set 19 carries, 118 yards, and a TD with Mayan Williams being out for this game. Marvin Harrison Jr. continues to be what I think of as the second coming to David Boston. Seven catches, 131 yards, three tutties. Look, this is also yet another game for which Ohio State has not played without its complete complement of offensive weapons. No Mayan Williams in this one. No uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba in this one. Jackson Smith and Jigba's only played two games. He's got four catches all year, and yet they don't seem to miss him. You want him back. I want to make that clear. He's perhaps your best player. But to be that deep, to have guys like Julian Fleming who can miss games and come back and play well, to have a Martin Harrison Jr., to have an Emeka Egbuka, to have a Travion Henderson that can sit and a Mayan Williamson that can play and vice versa, that is no mean feat. And it all starts with the quarterback who's been outstanding, C.J. Stroud out there dealing. For me, it's the number one team in college football. I expect Perhaps the AP voters will disagree with me once again, but you can see they're not just dominant. They're dominant offensively and defensively. Tommy Eichenberg, Tommy Eichenberg, excuse me, and Ronnie Hickman have been absolute dudes on that defense. They tackle anything that moves and has a pulse out there. Tanner McAllister has been outstanding on the field, helping coordinate this new defense from a new defensive coordinator in Jim Knowles. They're putting the shackles on people and they're running up the score. I can't wait for the game to happen, but there's a lot of football to be played between now and then. But right now it feels like the Buckeyes and the Michigan Wolverines are on a collision course for, dare I say, national championship implications, not just Big Ten championship or college football playoff implications. Another game, outstanding game in this window, number 18, UCLA upsetting number 11 Utah 42 to 32 at the Rose Bowl this game was underrated for me because I did not expect UCLA to be undefeated at this point in the calendar year and I did not expect Utah to get run on and passed on the way they got run on and passed on by Dorian Thompson Robinson and that UCLA offense Chip Kelly finding his groove now about four years into the program, right? All of a sudden, UCLA not just looks like one of the class teams in the Pac-12, but one of the class teams in college football. Sure, they're going to move up in the rankings. It's just about how far. And now you've got two undefeated teams in the city of Los Angeles playing college football. And there's a race to see which one of y'all is going to fill up the stadium first. 
I don't, I don't know what this is though, but you got, you got perhaps a number 10 or a top 10 UCLA and a top 10 USC and the Coliseum and the Rose Bowl can't get y'all to come out for the games. Yeah, man, I'm, I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted here. Yeah. Home games, both of these. And yet we got to see on television what Utah was bringing in. It wasn't a whole hell of a lot, quite honestly. I thought that they did the best they could with what they got, but it's just not a team that's built to score and score often. They're not built to try to play catch up with you. The last time that we saw a UCLA team or a Chip Kelly team operate like this, moved to 6-0 and in their first six games. Well, it was 2012 and Oregon finished number two in the country, 12-1 and on the season. I think that that's on the table now for UCLA, and that's going to be a lot of fun for us to watch. Matter of fact, that rivalry game November 19th, UCLA versus USC, could be for a spot in the Pac-12 championship. But between now and then, UCLA's got to get past Oregon. We'll see how that looks. Oregon's a good football team. No losses in Pac-12 play, only the lopsided loss to Georgia. I'm excited about that. Everybody should feel good if they are a Bruins fan right now about what you're able to do. Dorian Thompson-Robinson finishes 18 of 23. 299 pass yards, four TDs, and a pick. Zach Charbonnet had 22 carries for 198 yards. Good Lord. Uh, And a TD. When Chip Kelly says he wants to run the ball, he absolutely wants to run the ball. But he's also using to his benefit Dorian Thompson-Robinson's fifth year. As my man Jeff Schwartz pointed out on uh, our spaces, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is the first player in college football history to start Every year for five consecutive years because everybody got the COVID year, the the eligible year to use, and he's putting that to very good use. Excited to see what UCLA can do going into the second half of the season. Utah, at least you perhaps get to play spoiler or get to wait your turn. Maybe you get USC at Rice Eccles and you make something happen, you get a win there. But right now it feels like it's USC, UCLA, and Oregon playing for two spots in the Pac-12 championship. Going from that game to another outstanding game, in the early window, right, the 11 a.m. for my window, number 17, Texas Christian holds off number 19, Kansas, 38-31. This game had everything. I really uh, was in, what, in well, this, this play in particular, this didn't make me feel good. Jalen Daniels is trying to go get six there. He comes up short. Ball gets knocked out. He hurts his shoulder. He has to miss the rest of the game. Perhaps that changes the tenor of the game, but... Jason Bean is able to come off the bench and give Kansas everything it needed to try to pull off this upset at home. He finished the day 16 to 24 for 262 with four TDs and a pick. You'll remember he was a starting quarterback at Kansas last year. They made the switch in the offseason this year, and they got two guys that can start there. I hope Jalen Daniels gets well soon. College football is a lot of fun when that dude's playing it, but you could also see Lance Leipold's program is legit. You had to earn it today if you were Texas Christian, and they absolutely did. On the backs of Max Duggan and Quentin Johnson. Max Duggan picking up right where he left off, stomping a mud hole in my Oklahoma Sooners. 23 of 33 for 308 pass yards with three TDs and a pick, but 14 catches and 206 of those 308 pass yards were to the six foot four Quentin Johnston, who is a monster, absolute player, that dude. And when I spoke with him at Big 12 Media Days, I was asking, hey, man, uh, did you high jump? He's like, yeah, yeah, I did. Would you high jump? Six, seven. I'm sorry, what? You're high jumping six, seven in high school and you're a six foot four wide receiver? Texas Christian, go put that man on the track team. He can help you. He can help you win some Big 12 championships there. 
But also in there, you could see just what Texas wanted in him. He was earlier a Texas commit. He flipped to Texas Christian. Gary Patterson got him there. Sonny Dykes kept him there. And you got to see how big a deal it is to have that sort of length and that sort of athleticism on the outside. Texas Christian is 5-0 and for the first time since 2012. Last time they were 5-0 and to start the season, 2017, not 2012, since 2017, excuse me. Last time that was, they played in the Big 12 championship game against the Oklahoma Sooners. Current head coach Sonny Dykes was an analyst on that 2017 Texas Christian team. Now he's the head coach, and he's busting all these first-year records that were once held by, you know, a dude that was coaching 1929. My goodness. I think that, really, this game sets up for me what's going to be an outstanding game for Texas Christian against Oklahoma State next week. It also means that Texas Christian is very much in the driver's seat for a spot in the Big 12 championship along with Oklahoma State. And we'll see just what the Big 12 does to itself. As again, Texas is good. Tech is good. Kansas is good. Kansas State is good. Mention Oklahoma State. Going to be a lot of fun to see how the Big 12 shakes out. Mentioning Oklahoma State, number seven, Oklahoma State holds off Texas Tech 41 to 31. Look, follow me here. Spencer Sanders is able to take care of the football. When Spencer Sanders is able to take care of the football, Oklahoma State's really good. He also gets to shine. I would not be surprised to find out that Spencer Sanders is being mentioned as a Heisman contender in much the same way that one Hendon Hooker is at Tennessee because he's taking care of the doggone football. And when Oklahoma State takes care of the doggone football, Everybody else has a hard time. They can run it well. They play in great defense. I had my reservations about that with Jim Knowles headed to Ohio State, but Derek Mason comes in there, picks right up where they left off. They've got dudes with Oklahoma area codes all over the map there. They have taken over the top spot as the best team in the state of Oklahoma in the month of October. Can't tell you the last time that has happened. I don't know the last time that has happened. I don't think that has happened perhaps since 1998. Mike Gundy's having a day. I really expected Texas Tech to do a bit less in this game, quite honestly. You're starting Baron Morton for the first time uh, against Oklahoma State on the road, but he acquitted himself really, really well. I was very, very impressed with Texas Tech, who got a one-point win against Texas, game that Texas probably wins. B. John Robinson holds on to the football in overtime. But that's how it rolled for them. So now you have Texas Christian up against Oklahoma State for Big 12 supremacy. Very excited to see what that means. And uh, going into the month of November as college football playoff rankings are now about three weeks away. And Oklahoma State feels like a team that could be right there in the mix when we get there. Number eight, Tennessee routes number 25, LSU, 40 to 13. I didn't expect this game to be close, but there's also that psychological hurdle for Tennessee as it was with Florida, where they hadn't beaten LSU since about 2016, and they get their first win against LSU since 2016. 5-0 start for the first time since 2016. Hinton Hooker, 17-27, 239 through the air, two TDs. The man still hasn't thrown an interception since November 13th last year, and that was to Georgia. If they're hanging on to the football and he's taking care of the football and they're able to beat up on LSU without Charles Tillman, uh, not excuse me, Cedric Tillman, Charles Tillman played in the NFL, Cedric Tillman played wide receiver at Tennessee, then they're going to be really tough. I'm excited 
for Tennessee, Alabama for the first time in over 15 years because it feels like Tennessee stands more than just a simple shot. I asked you on the tweets, do you think number eight Tennessee can beat number one Alabama? Please go find that tweet, reply to it. We'll probably use it in our mailbag coming up for week seven as that game could have not just SEC championship implications, but maybe college football playoff implications. The Volunteers got to be feeling really good about their situation right now for the first time. And I got to believe, man, since the iPhone was invented, I keep saying this because it's true. The iPhone comes out 07. I believe Twitter debuts in 07. Tennessee ain't beat Alabama since then, man. It's been that long. And yet and still, we're excited about this game, knowing what it has been, and all Tennessee has been doing is upending its recent history against its rivals. You get past Alabama, I'm probably going to think that you can get past Georgia, but there's a lot of football to be played between now and then. Brew McCoy had seven catches, 140 yards. Jabari Small, 22 carries, 127 yards on the ground. Just an outstanding performance for the Volunteers in Tiger Stadium. Shout out to the Baton Rouge fans that got up early for this game. I, I mean, look, if they can get up at 11 a.m. to go see, you know, a not great LSU team, I'm going to put it back to those folks in Los Angeles. Maybe there is a lot to do, but they need you down at the Rose Bowl. They need you down at the Coliseum, and y'all are undefeated. Like, you're about to move to 12-0 and 0 if, if USC takes care of business combined, and I don't know what else I can tell you as a college football purveyor connoisseur except to say go enjoy this aspect of your sporting experience all right like i mean i guess if lebron james shows up to a game y'all will show up to a game i mean he shows up to ohio state everybody shows up to ohio state regardless though i'm just trying to find some way to get y'all to come through that's all all right that is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak, our senior producer, Catherine Donnelly. That is Kyle Holly directing us tonight. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all tomorrow to react to the Associated Press rankings and to reveal my own top 25 rankings. Deuces. <laughs>